Don't you just love the presence of the Lord? I find there's that, feels like there's a tipping point in His presence where it feels like um, encountering Him and just beholding Him becomes as natural as breathing. Like sometimes it might feel like you have a lot that you just need to surrender, like your mind is maybe a little bit busy. And just as we begin to sing and pray and just behold Him, it's like all those things begin falling off. But then there's that moment, um, at least I, I feel that, where you can just feel like there is, you're experiencing the reality that nothing is in the way of encountering Jesus. And it's like in that place, you can just feel every single longing of your heart just be fully satisfied. Like you're, you're whole in, in His presence because you were made to live in that place. Amen. And I love it. It's like breathing. Encountering Jesus is as natural for the believer as breathing in oxygen. It's not a fight. <clears throat> Sometimes we have to remind ourselves that, or ask the question, let me put it that way, ask the question, would he really have gone through everything that he went through on the cross to make it difficult for us to engage with him, difficult for us to encounter him? He paid a great price, the highest price, to reconcile sons and daughters to the Father. And because of the blood of Jesus, not because of anything that any one of us have done, doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what your gifting is, how good you've got it all together, regardless of who you are, what you've done, the grace of God says, come into my presence. And it's His grace that not only invites us into that place, but actually enables us to be able to say yes. That the very obedience of Jesus is imparted to us so we can say, here I am, Lord. I'm choosing to draw near into your presence. I love that he gives us the choice. I, I know for me, I've had many times where it's like, you almost wish that you could just be a Jesus robot, you know? <laughs> and everything was just straightforward, simple, easy, and we just all got it right all the time. Um, and it was never something that we had to consciously decide. But I've, the more that I've spent time with the Lord and the more that I've, you know, just uh, dove into the scriptures, I re I'm realizing that there's a beauty that he's given us and a privilege to be able to choose him every day. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And he said, and take up your cross daily and follow me. Every single day we have the privilege of saying, Jesus, I choose you over myself. I choose to deny myself by faith to enter into your death, that I can experience your resurrection life. It is a joy and privilege to be able to choose that every moment of every day. And I want to encourage us that it doesn't matter um, what you're going through or what you're feeling. Your circumstance and your situation never changes or hinders your ability to encounter Jesus. You were made for it. And it's really important that we believe that at the very core of who we are, because let's get real, life's going to happen. Things are going to come our way. Jesus actually said, in the world, you will have tribulation. But he said, take heart, for I've overcome the world. What is he saying? It doesn't matter what goes on around you. Stuff's going to happen. It's going to get loud. It's going to get real. But at the center of all of that, there is a man in the fire. Amen. <clears throat> if you don't know me, my name is Damien. Um, I have the privilege of... Um, serving at this house, uh, being a son in this house, and just loving Jesus. And it is an absolute honor and privilege to be able to minister the word to my family today. So um, I want to dive into the scriptures. And my prayer today is 
Um, I'm going to preach on what we preach every single week in 24-7, which is the grace of God. Uh, we believe um, strongly and unwaveringly in the purity and the power of the gospel of grace. And it doesn't matter whether you've been saved for two minutes or for 90 years, your need for the gospel of grace never changes. And uh, as I've just been processing with the Lord this week, I've really just been undone all over again, just studying the grace of God and what Jesus has actually done. And it's, it's doing something in me where I, I really want for my own heart, and I would encourage for all of us to really be intentional about never allowing what Jesus did on the cross to become tame in our hearts. I never want my heart to grow cold in responding to thinking about the price that he paid and the life that he actually paid for me to have. And... Even saying that, sometimes it's like, well, what do you mean? But if we really think about it, sometimes sub subconsciously we get so used to the language of the cross, so used to the language of the gospel, but we can miss the cues that maybe our hearts have grown a little bit cold to actually embracing the power of the cross, to actually embracing the grace of the gospel. And my, my hope and my prayer today by the grace and anointing of the Holy Spirit is I really want us as a house to be so anchored in the word that regardless of what season you find yourself in, you always have the scriptures to be able to anchor yourself in to know it doesn't matter what I'm going through right now. It's real. The Lord has compassion for me. He cares about all of my anxieties, all of my troubles. But in the midst of that, I get to encounter the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when our eyes are fixed on him, come hell or high water, Jesus will be glorified in our lives. Amen. Life is probably only going to get more intense. I'm not prophesying that. Um, it's just a reality. And I think more and more it's becoming vital that the oxygen of the church comes back to the gospel. We cannot do this life without the gospel of grace. We cannot even know the Lord without the gospel. We need him. We need the gospel every moment of every day. Amen. So if you weren't here last week, um, we had Vision Sunday. Uh, if you weren't here or if it's your first time, I'd really encourage you to go and listen to it. Um, we have a, uh, all the Sunday messages for as far back as, I don't know, many, many years, um, are all up on SoundCloud, Apple, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please come chat to us if you, if you need to find any of those. So, but I'd really encourage you to go listen to it. And something that Pastor Khan said last week is that as a house, we have made a commitment to preaching the, the gospel of grace, that we will not waver from that. And he said something that really gripped my heart, um, where he said, if, if anything in the global church, something that has been deficient or is lacking for a long time, I believe, is grace. Like we have a lot to say and we have all the, all the messages and all these kinds of things, but actually living in the fullness of the grace that the Lord has poured out is a very different story. And I believe that what the Lord is doing in this time is he's restoring the purity of grace to the church because it's only on the foundation of grace that we can truly live in all that he's called us to live in. Amen. So what I want to do today is I really want to um, do my best to contrast the difference between trying to do this in our own strength. By this, I mean trying to uh, be righteous, trying to discern right and wrong, trying to do the right thing, trying to have all of our lives together, especially because um, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, that's okay, but globally there seems to be this, uh, I don't want to call it a trend because that's probably not a really nice word, but... Um, the, there's a message of holiness that is being preached very strongly. Has anybody heard that? Just circulating social media and all that stuff. And I love it. It's amazing. Can I just say wholeheartedly, yes, the Lord is looking for a holy people. 
But guess what? It's not a people that have made themselves holy. It's a people that have been made holy, who the the very holiness of the Lord has been imparted to them through their union with the Father. So something I want to smash right out of the gate is that holiness is not a get-your-act-together message. And a lot of it is being preached that way. And I understand it's from a place of sincerity, of desiring to see a people walk in holiness in the church. But we have to be so careful in how we communicate those things. Because if, it, if, if even the slightest bit of self-righteousness or our own attempt at gaining it is mingled into that, then it's not the gospel at all. If you mingle anything with the gospel of grace, it is no longer the gospel. Paul addressed that to the the church in Galatians. He's like, there is no other gospel other than the gospel of grace. Anything else is not from God. Holiness is not a get your act together message. It is a ministry of grace. It is a ministry of grace. If you have your Bibles with you, it's a good place to bring your Bible. (laughs) Uh, You can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. I have been stuck in this chapter for a good couple of weeks now, and um, I've said this before, but you know you have those times where you read scriptures that you've read like a million times, but it's like sometimes you come back to a particular verse, and it's like you've read it for the first time. Like the Lord's just breathing on it, and He's speaking to you, and it's like, oh my word, I've never noticed that before. He just illuminates it in your heart, and I've just been in that place, and um, what I really want to do today is give us language that is clear as day in the scripture as to what the Lord has actually done for us. That as a family, as a house, as a church, there would never be doubt in your heart as to the righteousness that is yours through Christ Jesus. That it's not dependent on what you do, but whose you belong to, whose you are. Amen? Okay, Hebrews 10. Is everyone there? I'm going to read from verse 1. It says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, say it can never. Yeah. Say it a bit more excitably than that. Yeah. All right. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. It can never make perfect those who draw near. Okay, if you read the Bible like how I read it, I would read something like that and I'd go, okay, well, Lord, why did you put something like that in place if it could never perfect the worshiper when they draw near? It's good to ask questions like this. Asking the Lord questions is a good thing when your heart is in a place of teachability rather than trying to prove something wrong. Amen? It's good to ask questions. Um, Meditating on this, there's three things that I want to highlight as to why the Lord would... Um, institute a rhythm of life like this, of of coming before him, bringing sacrifices. Number one, we need to remember that everything that the Lord commands, everything that he promises, everything that he says reveals a part of his nature. It reveals what he values and the things that he likes and the way that he is. Everything. Every time he speaks, every time he ordains something, asks people to do something in a certain way, it reveals who he is, what he's like, what he values, okay? Okay. So first of all, this is about people coming and making atonement for their sins, bringing sacrifices under the old covenant. We're all on board with that. So what I want to communicate really carefully, I don't want to put the emphasis on sin because at the cross, Jesus took the emphasis off of sin. 
However, it is really important, even when we preach the gospel of grace, that we do have an understanding of sin. Otherwise, subconsciously, what Jesus did on the cross seems a little bit too extreme. If sin is like the small little thing, then it's like, Lord, did you have to go to such great lengths Like, if it wasn't that big of a deal? No, it, it was, and that's why he paid the price that he did. And sin is the one thing that the Bible says that the Lord actually hates, right? When we look, some people ask this question, when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's like, it seems like God was just very different between the the Old Testament and the New Testament. Like he was really angry before, now he cheered up a little bit and things are, you know, looking a little bit better. And I want to say he is exactly the same throughout the scriptures. There is nothing about the nature of God and the nature of the Father that changed from the Old Covenant to the New. Okay, When we look at the way that God responded to sin in the Old Covenant, His response to sin by actually pouring out wrath is a righteous response because sin is the opposite of who He is. He is righteousness, right? So in, in instituting these sacrifices, the first thing He's teaching them is what He values. He values righteousness. He values a pure people. He values a people that will draw near to him. So he instituted this. You still with me? Okay, the second thing is he's teaching them about covenant. If I could put this really simply, the covenant that we have between God, um, between the church and the Lord is, is his unwavering commitment to his people and what that looks like for our lives in responding to that and how it impacts our lives every single day. Covenant is like the collision of the church and God coming together. And it it affects everything of who we are. So he's teaching people about covenant in this place. Third thing and last thing um, is he's teaching them about a substitutionary death. In other words, that because there was sin, something, blood has to be spilt. There is a price for, for sin. Amen? Are we on that page? This is actually so wild. In uh, Leviticus 1, you can go read it in your own time. It actually, it's quite a challenging book to read sometimes because it's like literally just law after law after law after law. And it's like, wow, this is intense. Um, But there are some things that in context, because of our, you know, more modern culture, there's very simple things that we might glance over and actually miss what they actually mean um, and what it would have meant to the people in that context and in that time. So studying the word is so important. It just really brings things out that like, It just does something in your heart. But one thing that they would need to do, this was ordained by the Lord, that when they brought their sacrifices, um, they really had an understanding that something else was dying in their place. So they would bring the bull or whatever it was for a burnt offering. And it says that something that they had to do, you can read this in Leviticus 1, is they had to place their hand on the head of of the animal before bringing them. And then it just kind of moves on, and you're like, okay, they had to do that. But in context, what, what it actually means is there was this acknowledgement of, I've sinned before the Lord, and this animal is actually taking my place. Like, this thing's blood is being shed in place of my own, and by doing so, um, I'm now atoned to be able to draw near to the Lord. In the same way, I love this, it's like there was this embrace of a sacrifice knowing that it is taking your place and in the same way in the new covenant, we embrace the Lamb of God, we embrace Jesus knowing that there is one who took our place, took on our sin and conquered it on the cross. Okay, so he's teaching people, preparing them for Jesus coming that hey, there's one that is gonna take your place, who's gonna take your sin, really important. Okay, so it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, 
would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. They would no longer have any consciousness of sin. This is really rocking me this week because I hope that we can see the implication of the old covenant versus the new covenant in this place. That in bringing sacrifices time after time, it could never, um, it could never perfect them. That's what the Bible says <clears throat> in verse 1. And it says that if it, if it was working, they wouldn't have had to keep on doing it. They wouldn't have to day after day, year after year, bring these sacrifices because it says that their consciences would have been cleansed and freed from sin. See, the grace of God absolutely conquers sin. It destroys it. The gospel of grace does not ignore sin, it conquers sin. But what's really powerful about grace is that it also deals with the conscience of the worshiper. Sometimes we can hear the gospel of grace and you can hear, my sins have been forgiven. The Lord has washed me in his blood and he's inviting me to, um, to, to draw near to him, to come, and close, to come close, to have a relationship with him. But then in our minds, we're still struggling with guilt, shame, condemnation. Well, I messed up this week, so I'm not so sure. And there's this battle that's going on. But in the gospel of grace, it deals with the conscience of the worshiper. That actually it removes the thought of guilt. It removes the thoughts of condemnation. It removes all of the lies of, hey, I can't do this, I can't draw near because of this, or whatever it may be. It removes that, and it actually enables us to fix our minds on the heavenly things. That's what the grace of God does. Are you with me? If you just quickly flick back to Titus, it's the book just before Hebrews. Um, I'm just, I just want to read chapter 2, verse 11 for us real quick. It says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, <clears throat> training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you see this? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce all these things. It's not, hey, make sure that your life looks godly. Make sure that you're presenting yourself as righteous. Make sure that you have thrown all these things away and then grace is something that you can receive. No, it says the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And it, grace, trains us to renounce all of those things. Do you see, the, the focus completely shifts from my failures and my shortcomings to the victory of the cross. It, you live a very different life when you're viewing things from that perspective. When you're living in His grace, regardless of what you've done. It, again, the, grace, the gospel of grace does not ignore sin, it conquers it. And it enables us to live as Jesus has called us to live. Amen? You can jump back to Hebrews 10.
Uh, verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. Verse 3, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Can I say this? If our preaching is centered more around our sins, our failures, and our shortcomings, then I'm not sure that we're preaching the gospel. If what we're communicating is more about what we're doing wrong, what we're not getting right, what we're not demonstrating, if it's all centered around that, then I'm not sure that we're preaching the fullness of the gospel. See, the law says, behold your sin. The old covenant is, hey, look at your mistakes, do something about it, and make sure you do it perfectly. The new covenant, John chapter 1, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's totally different. It's totally different. I want you to really picture if every day you woke up and you chose to behold the beauty and the perfection of Jesus over your own failures and shortcomings and what you think you are or aren't getting right. I don't know about you, but that really excites me. And it takes a lot of the pressure off. Because a a message of holiness that's about get your act together, I don't know about you, but that does not get me excited to wake up every day and and live out this Christian life. Like, if it's about making the cut, (laughs) I think we're all in trouble, right? And that's exactly what the law taught us, that we need a savior. We're not designed to live self-righteously, to get it all together, to, to act like we've, we're doing the thing, ticking all the boxes. Maybe, just maybe, you can get it right for a little while, but I would question where your heart is. Because so subtly, it's about the appearance of godliness, but our lives are totally void of the power of the cross. But when we choose to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that's different. That's very different. Romans 3, verse 23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that scripture, right? That's only half the sentence. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a free gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The emphasis is not on your sin. All of the emphasis is on the righteousness of Jesus. You can feel, even when you say things like that, there is genuinely a wrestle in the global church of like, you can hear in the spirit of like, it can't be. Like, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I'm at. You don't know that I haven't opened my Bible in who knows how long. And what we miss when we're looking so inwardly at our own lives is that the the embrace of the Father is right in front of us. He's just waiting for us to look up. It's not complicated. It's really not complicated. In fact, if, if in the way that we are preaching the gospel of grace, if anything sounds like, well, I'm not sure how to do that, then Lord, help us. We're not preaching it correctly. It's, it's simple. He's saying, I took care of your sin on the cross. I've given you my righteousness. Now come to me. Encounter me. Feel my presence. Let everything about your life be fully satisfied in the person of Jesus. Everything. 
we all know this scripture really well. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 where it says that he became sin who knew no sin. Jesus became sin. Um, how do we know he knew no sin? Many scriptures about that. One of my favorites is in Hebrews 4 where it says that in every way he was tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. It says he became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me ask you this question. This is a good question to ask yourself. Did Jesus sin in order to become sin? Answer is no, just in case you were like, mm. He did not sin in order to become sin. So why do we put the burden of the ch on the church to act righteous in order to become righteousness? There is an exchange that happens on the cross. Your sin for his righteousness. Done. It's the other way around with the gospel of grace. It's not do this so that you can have this. It's he's done everything, now receive it. And it offends us because it takes away our control. It takes away our ability to perform and do better than anybody else. But God puts an even playing field and he says, you are all righteous. Every single one of you have the righteousness of God. There's a profound humility that comes through the gospel. Because yes, there is a moment where you realize your, your failures, your shortcomings, your sins. And there's repentance and that's a good thing. I love, um, Khan often says that repentance is the way of the righteous, not the way of the sinner. Again, the gospel of grace does not ignore sin. It conquers it. It conquers it and enables us to live as he has called us to live, in the righteousness and in the purity of Jesus. <clears throat> Verse 4 in Hebrews 10, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, or as a result, when Christ came into the world, he said, and this is quoting from Psalm 40, it says, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. I feel like we need to hear that. In always throwing our sin in the face of the Lord, or always throwing our failures, it's like he actually doesn't take pleasure in that. Right? I, that's not my idea. That's what the Bible says. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I love that it says he, he's come to do his will. Like we need to understand, even in the contrast of the old covenant and the law, that it was always the will of God for his people to carry his righteousness. It was never about, here's 613 laws, make sure that you get them all, because if you miss one, you miss them all, and you are screwed. It was always, come to me. 
I will make you clean. I will make you pure. My holiness will be imparted to you. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, he says that. He says, uh, he quotes the Lord speaking and he says, You shall be holy for I am holy. Not, hey, I'm holy, so you better get your act together. No, you shall be holy because I am holy. He's speaking into the unity that we have because of the Holy Spirit. Because His presence is in us, that is what has made us righteous, pure, and blameless, and holy before the Father. You can read that in Colossians 1. He who joins himself to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. Your spirit is as blameless as the Lord because your spirit is one with the Lord. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's not a clean slate. That's a reality for every single day. Amen? Do we believe that? Verse 11, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time, say for all time, say it a bit more excitedly, for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool under his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you see this language? The cross doesn't just deal with your past sin and tell you, good luck, it's all on you from here, buddy. You've got your second chance, tread carefully. It's for all time. The Bible teaches that he actually was crucified before the foundations of the earth. Why? It had to happen outside of time so that all of time could be impacted by the blood of Jesus. So that those who had never even been born yet, there weren't even a thought in a thought in a thought of their parents, grandparents, grandparents, whatever it is. They would be covered by the blood of Jesus just by receiving Him. It's for all time, every day, whether you sinned two seconds ago, the blood of Jesus has covered you. And He's still in the midst of your sin, looks at you and says, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Something I forgot to mention about the sacrifices and uh, in, in, in what the Lord values and why He instituted that. When they came and they brought the bull or the goat or whatever it was, he did not measure them by their sin. A sin measuring tape wasn't brought out and go, let's see how bad you were and that, that measures you know, whether you get off the hook or not. What was measured was not the sin. What was measured was the quality of the sacrifice. The sacrifice had to be blameless, spotless, a perfect lamb, a perfect bull. And he measured the sacrifice. Is the sacrifice worthy? you are atoned. Now, new covenant, we look at Jesus. He who was tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin. He lived the perfect life, the God-man Jesus. And he decided, I am going to give my life for the sins of the world. Romans 5, this is one of my favorite scriptures. It says that God demonstrates his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't, hey, he looked out to see who was good enough and he thought, I'll give my life for those guys. He looked at the sin of the world. Like sometimes I think about that and I'm like, you know, you kind of remember to a time in your life before you met Jesus where you were so aware of like just the shame of the life that you were living. And he took that feeling of the world on himself. Like, you know how awful 
guilt, shame, and condemnation feels. And he took that upon himself on behalf of the entire world. And people are like, well, I'm not sure how God feels about me. I can't feel my, my love, his love for me today. I'm not sure if he's even there. What? We need the gospel. If every day we truly took up our cross, then every day by faith we would be entering into the death of Jesus so that his life, his resurrection life, could also be manifested in our mortal bodies. That's what 2 Corinthians 4 says. Manifested in our bodies, the life of Jesus. Manifest means to bring things from the unseen into the seen, meaning that the life of Jesus... The purity, the perfection, the holiness, the power, the anointing, the grace becomes evident in my life, all because of what he's done and nothing to do with me whatsoever. I just get to receive it. I just get to say thank you. Thank you that you didn't leave it up to me. Because history has shown I've just messed that up time and time again, but that you would give me your righteousness that you would look at me and because I'm covered in the blood of Jesus, the Father is not inspecting your failures, your sins, and your shortcomings. He is inspecting the Lamb. He's inspecting the blood of Jesus, which is perfect for all time. It will never fail. Romans 6 says that sin will have no dominion over you. But when all we're thinking about is whether or not I'm getting something right or wrong, or I need to keep my act together, that kind of thinking keeps our minds bound under the dominion of sin. We're making sin our master. But grace liberates our minds, liberates our lives to serve the living God in purity, in righteousness, and in holiness. For all time, it's an eternal Redemption. In fact, if you literally just go one chapter back, chapter 9. Again, I really want to give you the language of the scripture. So it's like, I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible says. And it's good to know because it's, it serves as like an anchor for our lives, right? Um, in chapter 9, uh, I'll read from verse 11. It says, But when Christ appeared uh, as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, excuse me, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Not a redemption of their past, an eternal redemption. Past, present, future, righteous. Are we doing okay? So let me say this to you. God does not deal with you according to your sin. He does not deal with you according to your sin. Some of you don't believe me. I'll read it to you. <clears throat> It's one of my favorite psalms. Turn with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 
Just for the sake of time, I'm just going to start reading it right from verse 1. This is a beautiful psalm. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Fear is awe and reverence and wonder. It's not afraid of. It's like, I can't get enough of you. I can't get away from you. I'm afraid of being away from you, right? It's not about being afraid of God. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Did you read verse 10? Did I shout it loud enough? He does not deal with us according to our sins. You know what rocks me is that this is David speaking in the context of an old covenant. And he could still say that about the Lord. Psalm 119, if you didn't know, is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's 176 verses. Every single one of them is about being in love with the law, with the testimonies of God, with his righteousness, with his precepts. Every single one of them. And you go like, well, you know, there's, there's bondage that was under the law. So it's like, where did he get that language from? How did David feel that way? And see, what we see consistent in the life of David in all of the Psalms is he was obsessed with the presence of the Lord. He knew even in the context of the old covenant, he was able to see through the law into the heart of God and see that his desire was for man to dwell with him. So even under the law, he could say, he does not deal with us according to our sins. He understood even then that it's about his righteousness. It's about his holiness and we are nothing without him. He learned the lesson from the Lord. What God was trying to reveal was our need for Jesus. Amen? What are we doing for time? Cool. Just lastly, uh, in Hebrews 10, well, not lastly, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> <clears throat> so he says, um, I'll go from verse 14 again, back in Hebrews 10. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. 
We're doing the church a great injustice if all we're doing is waving one another's sin in front of each other, saying, hey, fix this. Get your act together. That's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. He's conquered sin, guys. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest of the house of God, that's speaking about Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How much of that has to do with you except the part to choose to draw near? That's all he's asking. Draw near. He will wash you. Even your conscience. I love that. That's really been ministering to my heart this week. Like he even, the blood of Jesus deals with our minds too. That's good news. That's good news. You know the gospel means good news? <laughs> if it doesn't sound good, then it can't be the gospel, right? I want to get really practical just last few minutes. I promise I won't take too much of your time, but something that really gripped me this week was just, um, we know this about the gospel, but just seeing it in the scripture about he does not deal with us according to our sin. And just this question really came up in my heart, given a lot of things that have just been happening in the global church, where just having this conversation of the Lord, where I'm like, Lord, if, if you don't deal with me according to my sin, then what gives me the right to deal with others according to their sin? What gives us the right to treat others and to deal with them according to their sins, failures, and shortcomings if the Lord does not treat us and deal with us that way? There's something that's been said um, by a few like well uh, respected leaders globally that I really have a problem with about with various things that have been happening in the church so they're saying these statements that God is cleaning out his house and I want to categorically say that that is garbage God does not clean his house out of people maybe you say well Jesus he whipped tables and drove people out of the temple. No, go read what he actually did. He drove out the systems and the ways of the world that was influencing the church. He did not drive people out. He said, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. How many know that to have a house of prayer, you actually need people? There can be no praying going on if there's no people in the house of prayer. What kind of father cleans his house out of his children? That makes no sense. And it's a good indication of how, what we believe about the gospel, where if it is just a case of, well, my past has been covered, but now as soon as you belong to the church, be very careful, because we're ready to expose your sin. We're ready to blast it all over social media, disqualify you from whatever you're called to, and well, you can just sit in the back now because you're not a very good Christian. That is not the heart of God. He's not cleaning out his house of his sons and daughters. He's cleaning out his house of a corrupted gospel, 
which says that it's about what you can do, how you're performing, how well you've got this thing together. He's restoring the gospel of grace to his church, which says that no matter what season you find yourself in, no matter whether you feel like you failed at everything, whether you're deep in sin, the eternal redemption that Jesus purchased for you is yours 24-7 for all time. It's evil, man, to put that burden on people. Find, where, find that in the Bible. It's so dangerous to use platforms like that to make statements like that. Because think about this from an outsider's perspective, from somebody who has not given their life to Jesus. What on earth sounds appealing about becoming a part of something where the next time I mess up, it could be made into a public spectacle? The only thing that we should be blasting all over social media and lifting high is the name of Jesus. In spite of our failures and shortcomings, He remains faithful even when we are faithless. He remains righteous even when we sin. In 1 John chapter 1, he says, I write to you, little children. I love this language. It's a, a father of the church speaking to the church. And he says, I write to you, little children, that if you sin, not when, because a life free from sin is possible because of the gospel of grace. Amen? You believe that? He says, I write to you that if you sin, you know that you have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's not tolerating sin. That's saying the one who conquered it is advocating on your behalf. Hebrews 7 actually words it like this. It says that he now that he's ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, it says that he lives to make intercession for us, which means right now he's alive before the throne of God, interceding for the people of God always covering our sins, failures, and shortcomings, presenting us before the Father, saying, here's your son, here's your daughter. They are holy. They are blameless. They are righteous. And he embraces us every time, every time, regardless of your track record. Listen, this whole thing about cleaning out his house, if it's about who makes the cut, then we are all in trouble. He desires a house of prayer for all nations. I love that language because nation speaks of multitudes. It's not the few that could make the cut that were good enough. It's the multitudes. Like in Revelations 5, he ransomed for God people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every ethnic linguistic people group, ethno-linguistic people group. He desires the multitudes to come to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it also says that we no longer regard one another according to the flesh. And right away it says, we are new, a new creation in Christ Jesus. We do hold one another accountable, but not to our sins and our failures and shortcomings. We hold one another accountable to our destiny in Christ Jesus, to who you are and whose you are. That makes you want to be a part of this, right? Not like, well, I better keep my act together because if I, if I mess up, I'm out. What? 
We don't regard one another according to those things. We should be committing as the church to the family of God, to always encouraging one another and pointing one another to the beauty and majesty of Jesus. Paul says in that same chapter, I love this. He says that we are ambassadors for Christ. I love that language, ambassadors for Christ Jesus. He says that we've not only been entrusted with the message of reconciliation, which is man being restored back into union with God, but he says that we've been entrusted, again, I love the language, that means there's a responsibility. Uh, He says we have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, which means we're not just to uh, preach the message of grace, although we must preach the message of grace till our dying breath, but we must also be ministers of reconciliation, which means that my life always serves other people in seeing the worthiness and the beauty of Jesus. That I can go up to someone that in the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their shame, I can say, hey, chin up, buddy. Jesus loves you. He has covered you. He's redeemed you. He has sanctified you. In fact, the scripture says that he has made you perfect. That frees somebody to go, oh yeah, it's not about all the junk. It's about Him. And it liberates you to live for Him without fear of of messing up because it's all dependent on Him. In Him we live, move, and have our being. The ministry of reconciliation is not just for unbelievers. How do I know that? Because I read my Bible. This is one of my favorite verses. It's, it's still in 2 Corinthians 5. If you want to turn there, you can, but I'm just going to read it. So he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Here we go. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here's how we know it's not just for un- unbelievers. Bear in mind, this is the second letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. There is an established church, an established uh, established relationship here. Amen? We're all clear on that? Verse 20, he says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Implore doesn't mean, here's something that we suggest. This is our expert recommendation for you. The word implore literally means to like earnestly beg somebody. It's like you're pleading with someone. And Paul is saying to an established church that is saved, redeemed, transformed, living in the gospel, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The responsibility of every single believer is that whoever we meet, saved or unsaved, that the ministry of reconciliation flows through our lives that we are representatives, ambassadors for Christ. It says God making his, his appeal through us. That doesn't stop at the church. It should be most evident in here. Right? We ought to be a people that are immovable in grace. That's a very different church. And I I believe with everything in me that the Lord is doing it in this house, which is why we preach this every single week. 
Because it's like you can say the same thing over and over and over and over again, but you can feel the eternal power on these words. Because it's the message that we will be preaching, listening to, worshiping the Lord for the rest of our lives and all of eternity. We will never stop praising the Lord for the gospel. That's literally what they're doing in Revelation right now. It says what's happening in heaven is they are praising him because by his blood, he ransomed people for God. The angels are singing, wow, look what you did for these people. That blows my mind. So to get really practical, and I really feel, felt a lot of weight uh, on this, this week. What happens, what happens when we have been sinned against or wronged or hurt, betrayed, whatever it may be? How do we respond in those moments? Is, is the gospel of grace only for me? Or is it meant to flow from my life into the lives of others? I'll give you the answer. Keep you on your seats. <laughs> the power of the cross and the power of the gospel of grace is so much bigger than our individual lives. It changes everything about our lives, transforms us, it is powerful, but it's so powerful that it cannot be contained just yet. When we, when we are walking in the true revelation of the gospel, it will flow through our lives, and that's how we become ministers of grace, ministers of reconciliation. In that place of pain and heartache, betrayal, whatever that is, God is not ignorant of our pain. He doesn't look lowly on the things that, we're, that are hurting us, the things that are weighing down our hearts. But he meets us with compassion, overwhelming, immeasurable compassion. But what we need to understand is that the person that wronged us, that sinned against us, that whatever it is, he has the same amount of compassion for that person. How does that change how we respond in the midst of being wronged as the church? If we look at the life of Jesus, the greatest injustice that ever was and ever will be is that Jesus was crucified. He was the only person that has ever and will ever live that was 100% without sin yet he was given the most horrific death known to mankind. And you know what his words were? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, in the old covenant, it was, hey, you better forgive so that you can be forgiven. Burden of the law. In the new covenant, you can read this in Colossians chapter 3. It says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you forgive others. In other words, being able to live out a ministry of reconciliation is dependent on our revelation on what Jesus did for us on the cross. It is dependent 
on our understanding of the gospel of grace. Because if I don't understand it or believe it for myself, then I will never, ever be able to minister that same grace to somebody else. But when we believe, when we start beginning to comprehend, because I, I think we'll spend all of eternity trying to comprehend the magnitude of what he's actually done. But as that starts stirring in our hearts, the reality of the power of the cross, the reality of the grace that has been given to us as a free gift, you can't help but become an extension of that same grace to the lives around us. And I, and I promise you this, this is an area that I'll be 100% transparent in and say that I've not done so well in responding rightly when I've been wronged. It's difficult, right? And you realize in those moments how highly we still think of ourselves because, well, I deserve better and they're not worthy of, of my friendship or whatever anymore. Like, that's just done. Like, easier for me to just walk away and move on, but you never really do. You're actually holding on to it. And my encouragement to us is this morning is that if we could just believe that the grace of the Lord goes far beyond even our own lives, the way that we relate to one another, the way that we're able to minister and encourage one another will revolutionize the church and we will begin to walk in the purity, the holiness, and the righteousness that the Lord has invited us into. In Acts, it says that they wouldn't dare join the church when they saw what was going on. And that was not because they were afraid of their sin being exposed. That was because the glory of God was in the midst of the church. Because they embraced His grace. They embraced His grace. It's our desire that this place, no matter where you've come from, what you've done, that you can belong in this church. And that's not me saying, hey, you know, whatever you're stuck in, you just come and you just keep on doing you. No, come. And there is a promise and a guarantee that you will be transformed in the presence of the Lord. Not because someone told you to get your act together, but because this place under the grace and the anointing and the presence of the Lord will become and is becoming a ministry of reconciliation, both to those who belong already and are saved and to those who will still get saved in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. But I want to encourage us this morning, let the gospel of grace conquer your heart every single day. Be intentional about it. Be relentless about it. We need it every day. We never graduate from needing the gospel, ever. That's not a mark of maturity in the faith. I, I said this last year. It means that we've fallen from great heights if we abandon preaching the gospel, if we think that we've grown onto to other things. We're settling for lesser things. He wants to touch our hearts, change our lives, fill us with himself, and part of that process is extending that same grace, that same mercy, that same compassion that you have received unto those around you in all spheres of life, whether it's your family, your friends, somebody on the side of the road, it doesn't matter. You get to be a representative of Jesus because of the grace that you've received. Amen?
I know this is a bit weighty because you can feel like if you, if you are right now journeying stuff like that with people, it's, like, it's tender and it's sore. But I want to say that the Father has compassion on you. Deep, deep compassion. And he also has compassion for the one who wrongs you. The gospel of grace liberates us from anybody else's response. I'm just faithfully going to minister and be an extension of grace. Whether you receive it or not, it's not up to me. We each have the privilege to make the choice to receive him, to love him, to follow him. And it's a privilege that we get to do that every single day. Amen. Will you stand? Although it feels weighty, as I was prepping <clears throat> all of these scriptures and just as the Lord was speaking to my heart, I, I really just kept hearing um, Psalm 51 where David says, uh, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's like, hey, uh, maybe a lot of stuff has been happening and I've been distracted and I've been looking at my own life, been looking at all these circumstances and things have just been weighing me down. But perhaps for some, even today in this moment, there's an opportunity where the Lord wants to restore the joy of your salvation. The grace of God is profoundly full of joy. Psalm 16, in His presence there is fullness of joy. So sometimes, even when stuff is weighty, and maybe the expression, maybe the little bit of tears flowing, whatever it looks like, but in the midst of that, the Lord is restoring joy into his church, joy into his bride. Grace looks like joy. So would you just close your eyes and maybe if you're comfortable, just lift your hands. If you ever wonder why we ask to lift hands, it's really just a posture of surrender. It's like a practical thing that you can do with your body that just helps your heart focus on Jesus. And we close our eyes because then you're not looking at things around you to get distracted. But in your spirit, you're beholding Jesus. You're meditating on the, the wonders of who he is, the wonders of his grace. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your grace, Jesus. Father, thank you that you have freed us from the burden of the law, the burden of our attempt at self-righteousness, of getting our act together, but you have made us holy, blameless, and righteous by the blood of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask right now for an intimate awareness of how close we are to the throne of grace right now, Lord. Where you said, Lord, that we are seated in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. And I ask for a tangible awareness of that right now, Lord. I ask, Father, for uh, a tangible awareness of the compassion, the mercy, and the kindness that you show towards us. 
Holy Spirit, would you minister into the deepest places of our hearts this morning, Lord? God, I thank you that your grace would cut away every burden, every bit of guilt, every bit of shame, every bit of condemnation, and that right now, Lord, you would minister the joy of our salvation. Right now, Lord, that you would minister your righteousness, that you would minister your grace. For some of you, you, you're tangibly feeling weights lift off of your shoulder right now, like you can stand a little bit taller. Father, let our hearts be captivated by the gospel. Let our hearts be undone all over again, day after day, by your profound grace that you have given us. Let it astound us, Lord. Let it bring awe and wonder into our hearts. Lord, I thank you that you are establishing uh, this house in the gospel of grace, Lord. I thank you that what you are doing in the hearts and lives of 24-7 church, Lord, is you are positioning us to live in all the fullness of your glory, all the fullness of the gospel, Lord, that none would be left behind, but that all would be walking in the purity and the power of the gospel. Lord, I thank you that if there's any doubt, any doubt of what you've called us to live in right now, or any doubt of it being possible, I smash that in the Spirit right now in Jesus' name. And I thank you that the anointing of your Holy Spirit would come upon every person, Lord. The divine enablement, Lord, that your grace would strengthen us to live in all that you've called us to live in. Lord, and we look with excitement and with wonder at all that you have for us as a house. But we don't miss today. We embrace right now, this moment with you, Jesus. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your compassion. Lord, we bless you. We love you. There is no one like you. There is no one like you, Jesus. I ask, just in your own words, would you just begin to thank him for the gospel? No one can thank him like you can. Just in your own words, just begin to thank him for his grace. Thank him for his kindness. Thank him for, in the midst of whatever you're in right now, that his grace is sufficient for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You're wonderful. You're wonderful, Jesus. Wonderful, Jesus. Wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I, I bless every person in this room, Lord. I bless every life, every family, every marriage. Lord, and I thank you that as a house, you are taking us from glory to glory. You're taking us from glory to glory. Lord, I just thank you for this week ahead. I thank you that you would keep our hearts anchored in the truth, Lord, anchored in your presence. Thank you that this week we would experience the joy of our salvation, the wonders of the gospel, the wonders of who you are. By faith, Lord, I thank you for a week full of profound encounters with you, Jesus with the King of glory, 
I release the confidence that is in your blood, Lord Jesus, to be able to draw near. Thank you that you wash our minds, Lord, from any doubt, any lies, any unbelief. And that you, you minister boldness and confidence to draw near to your throne of grace. Lord, we bless you. We love you. We give you glory. We lift you high, Lord. And we just say, as a house, we live for you, Jesus. We are given to your presence, Lord. We are given to loving you, to seeing your name exalted, and to seeing every nation, every tribe, and every tongue liberated through the power of the gospel. So that together with one voice, all across the earth, the name of Jesus would be exalted. We love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Guys, we love you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being family. Have an incredible week. I'm really trusting, just even from my own heart, that the gospel would just conquer us again and again and again and again, and that we'd experience the wonder of who Jesus is. Amen. Amen. Have a beautiful one. If you need prayer.